This is part two of a two-part session. So if you're just coming in, just pick up with us, and it'll be cool. But it, you are getting the second part. Sorry that the schedule didn't represent that. Also, many of you have been asking about materials, follow-up things, which is a great question because what we hope some of you are going to do back in your prayer rooms and churches is that you're going to start gathering. You're going to, some of you are going to say, you know what, why don't two and three of us come together and start sharing stuff and praying for each other and keeping confidence and going deeper in some of these areas. And if you want to do that, the ministry I direct, I'm on staff at IHOP, but I direct a ministry called Desert Stream, which is connected to IHOP, but it's separate. There's a website on the back of your outline, and if you don't have an outline, it's www.desertstream.org. You can get all kinds of materials from us, or you can get them in the bookstore. I'm on the, I'm, there's, a, there's a section in the bookstore which is for the staff. My name is Andy Comiskey. There's all kinds of like little guides that you could go through in twos and threes. So some of you need to follow up on this. And the answer is not going to be through the big, you know, PhD in the big city. It's going to be as you start gathering together and working it out where you live. These are issues that we face where we live. We can't afford to be commuters with the issues in our life. We have to learn how to form meaningful relationships with trusted people who can keep secrets and who can pray with us and cover us where we actually really need it. Now, one of the areas that is, is important for us to take seriously is that many of us have some serious things in our life, some serious woundings and some serious distortions in our heart. And one of the things that we might be tempted to do is just to say, well, it's all sin and it doesn't really matter. And, you know, my sin, your sin, whatever, it's all sin. Well, that, that could be true. But what I want us to take very seriously is that many who are among us are seriously wounded. There really are some deep core issues like issues of sexual abuse, like issues tied into homosexuality, where there really is a profound distortion in how we experience ourselves and how we experience other people. There's no shame upon that. Some of you have really serious sin problems in the sense that you are really bound to habitual patterns of sin. And the way that you cope with that is by minimizing it. You say, oh, it's really not that bad. We're all sinners. Or you say, well, um, God forgave me for that because I confessed it. But if you really step back and are honest, you have to admit, you know, I do this on a regular basis and it's not getting better. It's actually getting worse. I'm doing it with a higher degree of frequency. And that's shameful. And it's painful for us to look at, but you don't get healing because you're uncomfortable and you don't want to deal. And then some of you want to shake your fist at God and say, well, I prayed and you didn't take it away. And I think what God honestly would say to you is the same thing he said to me when I was trying to overcome a pornography addiction. Andy, if you're not willing to tell the truth, the absolute truth, to a core group of people, then don't tell me you want to be free. And you might say, well, I, I don't have those people. 
Well, then get them. Get them. You might say, well, my church would never let me. Then go to another church. We're not under Roman rule, people. If we are seriously wanting to be a pure bride, that may begin with our intercession, but it shuts down real quick when we are not telling the truth about the impurities within our own temple. We can pray all the live long day and yet not let our fellow intercessors know what is eating us alive from the inside. Tell the truth. Please don't blame God. Because in your isolation you cried out. The answer comes through the body of Christ. It comes through Christ incarnated in trusted brothers and sisters. And we are not where we were 30 years ago. In every community, there are Christian therapists. There are people that are gathering on the basis of their brokenness. And they are saying, there is a place for you here. Don't you dare blame God because you don't want to shame yourself by showing up in one such group. Admit the problem where it's a problem. It's called pride. It's called you're not wanting to be known as a sinner. Yeah, you're free to pray that God would bring in all the sinners into your community, but you don't dare want to be known as one. That is a problem. That is a problem. Let's start forming these groups where we live. You can do it. You can become known. There are trustworthy people. Don't let the few that misused your confession stop you from getting the help you need. I want to introduce a very good friend of mine. You saw her beautiful face if you came to the first session. Her name is Rachel Scoggin. She is a good friend of Desert Stream, a good friend of IHOP, and a good friend of the body of Christ. <laughs> Rachel Scoggin, get up here. Thank you. Well, I'm going to go ahead and just share a little bit of my testimony for a few minutes. And really, I'm going to talk about how I became willing to face and get free in the face of same-sex attraction. Um, I grew up in Northern California, and that really is an area that, in a very bad way, is known for trailblazing in the area of sexual sin. And as I grew up in that community and um, in the San Francisco Bay Area and worked in San Francisco, worked in Berkeley, all around me throughout my life, I had sort of these people who were really like false shepherds guiding me in a way. I was raised in church. My parents raised me in church. But for me, when I would go to church, I would really feel like um, women weren't represented correctly, just all the different things that we face. And, of course, when you're in Northern California, then they're really hammering that down to you. But one of the things that really I remember growing up was that um, 
I was probably like four or five and I was hearing this hymn and the hymn was called use me Lord. And in my mind, when I heard this hymn, what I thought was, you know, I don't want to be used by the Lord because to me, it sounded kind of like a doormat. It didn't really sound like a tool in the Lord's hands. It sounded like, you know, this doesn't really sound so good. And so that really began as a young age, me kind of looking outside the doors of the church to look at other places to find shepherds that could help me. And so as I got older, um, I never considered myself gay growing up. I had a cousin who was, uh, identified herself as that. I had an aunt who did. They definitely had an effect on me, but I didn't identify myself as that. And as I got older, about 1920, I started to feel like, you know, I think I'm feeling like I could go this direction. And as I started to feel that, I also felt this feeling of, I can't tell anybody. Nobody can know about what's happening here. And so what I chose to do is really start talking to the people who were completely in the lifestyle. Wrong choice, but I went ahead and did that anyway. And so I was in college and I was doing this, and it really felt like, you know, maybe this is another way to go. I didn't necessarily think that the Lord could go with me in that place, but I was willing to leave him behind and go ahead and do that. And so as I dealt with all of this, I dealt with my uh, family. Uh, My dad left when I was four years old, and so that caused a little rift. Um, My mom ended up remarrying when I was nine and um, had lots of kids, and my stepdad was the up-and-coming guy of the church. But for me, what was really hard was in front of the church, he was somebody, but behind closed doors, as he was with me, he was over-disciplining me. And that really sent a message to me that really men weren't too trustworthy. My relationship with my mom was really one of um, more friend and mother, and I didn't really know uh, when she was going to put the correct hat on. And I remember one time even having an argument with her around 14, 15, like, Could you just tell me which hat you're wearing today, and then I'll know how to approach you, because it would switch up on me so much. And so really, both male and female growing up were not really that safe for me. And so as I got older and I got into college, when all the emotions start coming up for us and all of the, you know, who am I and am I going to be in love and all those different things, it ended up getting eroticized with another person. And as I started talking to these people... Some of them did go to church with me. I did find uh, people at church who were dealing with the same thing as me. The only problem was they weren't dealing with it correctly. They weren't being open about their problem. And so we all lived this gray sort of Christianity together. Now, that doesn't mean that I was acting out. It just means that I was dealing with it, but I was setting myself up. I was setting myself up for a big, big fall because I wasn't being honest about what I was going through. I was terrified, actually, to tell anybody. And I also kind of thought in my deluded way that I wasn't really like those over there. I went to church in San Francisco where there was a lot of people who had come out of homosexuality, but I didn't think my problem was really that bad. You know, I could still kind of pass off as someone who didn't have the problem, so I was really doing okay. So as I got older, it was sort of this secret thing inside of me. And um, I would constantly deal with it, but I would go to maybe one or two people for prayer, and that didn't work for me. I went to the Elijah house, just, you know, different things, anything you can think of with inner healing. I tried all of those different routes. It didn't go away. It was so awful for me that it didn't go away that I just kept pressing it down and pressing it down. It was kind of like beach balls underwater. I kept pressing it down and pressing it down. And um, as I got older, we're talking like a decade of dealing with this and not really dealing with it, but, you know, dealing with it with my friends who are not really dealing with their stuff either. That's kind of how that worked. And so um, as I got older, about, you know, now I'm in my, like, early, late 20s, early 30s, 
I decided, hey, I'll join a Christian ministry. I mean, why not? That's the way to solve these things, right? You know, you go join a Christian ministry. So that's what I did, and I got on leadership there. And before I came, though, there had been a devastating heartache with a guy and someone who I thought, you know, at some point I may marry, and then that didn't happen, and he got a girl pregnant, blah, 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 blah. You know, unfortunately, that's kind of the what we're used to now is um, people getting pregnant and all these different things, and we're all kind of not really good at having a boundary and having a standard of what the Lord wants in our sexuality. And so I was affected by that as I gave in to him. And then he came back and said, you know, I got this girl pregnant. I'm going to go ahead and marry her. And sort of like lightning time, like six weeks where I was like, whoa, okay, now I'll join the ministry. This will solve everything. And I'll get on leadership and that'll be great. And I'll be the best leadership person ever. And that'll work out well too. And not so much. That didn't work either. All my issues were just flying up. And as I ended up dealing with people in leadership and ended up dealing with people around me who were on the same level as me, all of my stuff came up in such a bad way that I just thought, you know, here's another person. I'll go ahead and fall with this person. And that person was a woman. And I was so devastated that this is how this had happened. But I decided, you know what, maybe this is what I want. Maybe I'm going to go ahead and do this thing. I've been around. I've been hearing the propaganda for years. I'm just going to go ahead and go for this. And as I decided to do that, the moment I actually decided to do it, to leave the Christian ministry and go towards the lifestyle, I decided that wasn't what I wanted. And so that became a long process of me really, really confessing my sin. No more was I going to live in this area of gray Christianity in the sense that now things, I was, if it was black or white, I was going to say it was black or white. And if you were in sexual sin, I was going to say you're in sexual sin. And in fact, I want you to call your pastor because if you don't, I'm calling your pastor. And that for me was a huge thing because I was really kind of more of the let's all get along, we all have issues, because in my core, I didn't really think we could get over this sin. I really didn't. I didn't think same-sex attraction is something that you could get over. I just thought, you know, you just you die with this thing. And when you get to heaven, you kind of get to sit on a lily pad with the Lord and wave. You know, you make it in. You know, that's a good thing. But, that, you know, as I... <laughs> As I really started to confess my sin, and I'm making fun, you know, I'm, I'm laughing about it, but it was a brutal process for me. It felt like I was falling on a sword literally on my heart, like I was plunging myself deliberately and confessing, even in the little areas of where I was duplicitous, where maybe even someone would kind of shoot back the email and go, why is she even saying this to me? I just wanted to be clear for the first time in my life that it was black or white. It was no longer gray the way I was going to live my Christianity. And that's where I got free. And also, um, more areas of freedom came as I really began to dive in deep into the areas of pain with my parents, in the areas of pain with other leadership people who had named me, who had said things to me that I really was not. And as I took them off of me and put them back into the cross and gave them back to the Lord and said, you know, this is what you died for. This is the thing that you died for. Then I could go ahead and feel the parts of my identity as a woman coming back to me. And that was huge for me. I had no idea they had been glossed. I had no idea that my aunt or whatever had been said and all these different things that had been said over me that actually that had taken parts of me away, and I was no longer who the Lord had created me to, to be. 
And so my challenge to myself was to really live out of my true self, the person that the Lord had made me, which meant stop manipulating, which meant stop flirting with the married guy when we don't really call it flirting, which meant stop flirting with the woman who you know has a problem with same-sex attraction, but you're just trying to see how she's doing. All of those things had to cease and desist. And I had to find people who I could say, you know what, I need you. I need friends who I can come to and say, I'm having this problem. I mean, I remember one friend, I tried to talk to her about it, I'm having problems with same-sex attraction. I need a friend who can be accountable. And her face kind of went, you know, kind of did that look. And I was like, that's not going to be helpful at all. You know, I really, really need you to not do the face thing when I go ahead and confess to you about this stuff. But really, that's what helped me. It was really finding these people who I could go, you know what, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to say I have got these problems. And it's not easy. I mean, even now as I've walked through some of this and I've gotten so much freer from this problem that doesn't mean that I don't struggle that doesn't mean that I have to go to another and go I need help I have to call you I need you know I need help now can I come over now we need to talk about this now that doesn't mean that I don't have those but what it does mean is that I can get free quicker from the thing that is binding me and that's a great I mean that's probably the most incredible thing that has happened to me in this area Rachel is doing an internship with us at Desert Stream, so so great. It was really powerful. One of the things that um, <clears throat> Rachel demonstrated um, is that it's really important to be able to give a name to your struggle and within limits to be known as someone who has a problem. Some people are, don't like this. They think, I don't want to be labeled according to that or you know, it'll empower the problem if I talk about it. Or, you know, what we hear often is, well, just Jesus died for it. Just, you know, move on. Um, again, what that what that is, what that is saying, it, it's 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 well intentioned. But what it's saying is, is that this really isn't very serious. It's really treating the wounds of my people as if they were not serious. Peace, peace. When there is no peace. So when you actually begin this working dialogue with the Lord and other people, with what you're dealing with, and you start giving language to it, you're not saying, I'm a lesbian, I'm a homosexual, I'm an addict, I'm a victim. You know, that's not the point. But the point is saying, I'm a Christian, raised with Christ, and I got issues. And this is what they are. And when you have that, you have a boundary. You have a boundary in the natural and in the spirit. You have a boundary. Because when you're not known, when you're doing what Rachel did at first, well, I'll tell this person over there, but not, I won't tell them everything. I'll tell them a little something. When you're not really known, the enemy knows that. And he'll use it against you. And there are ways in which you're that much quicker at being bought when you're out on the road or you're in the next town or that season passes and those people aren't there anymore, whatever. So I think that there's a boundary in being known. It may seem like, well, I'm losing my boundary. I'm losing the boundary of no one knowing. (laughs) But it actually is the means through which we stay clear and free is to say, yeah, this is what I'm dealing with. No secrets. Yeah, want to know about it? 
Yeah, this is how I'm doing. Not so good. Or really good. How are you doing? (laughs) It begs the question. Paul says, after he tells us in Ephesians 5, 8, and 9, to live as children of light and find out what pleases the Lord, he then says, but put off the deeds of the flesh. Put off the things of darkness. Put off the shameful things. Put them away. He exhorts us to expose fruitless deeds and to be clear of them. And so I just want to very quickly talk about some of those things that we may want to expose. The first one is the way that some of us have just shut down. We've shut down. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't seasons in our time with the Lord where we're not actively engaging in pursuit of a dating relationship. There are seasons where we might say, you know, at this point, I'm just not going there. But I think for many of us, this becomes a prolonged season. And I think this becomes a defense. It's a reaction to wounding. It's a reaction to rejection. And so we might use any different kinds of language. I have a celibate calling. I'm consecrated. I'm set apart for the Lord. Well, you know what? Every one of us is set apart for the Lord. That's not really the point. The point is we are set apart from the Lord and we're called to glorify him in these bodies, which means that we have to be really honest about why we are resisting you-me relationships. Now, if God is calling us into that for a season, then yes and amen. We need to make sure that other people are confirming that, don't we? We don't just want to be subject to our own delusion there. We want to say, do you bear witness that this is a good season for me to not be doing so much of the Yumi stuff? God bless you if that's the case. But I would also ask you and those people around you to beg the question, what are you afraid of? What are you running from? What do you fear? Well, I fear rejection. That's why I don't want to do that. I fear a replaying of old patterns. That's a good fear. Let's talk about it. What have you done to kind of rebuild some of those old damaged things? So you've got to ask yourself the question. So withholding ourselves from a you-me relationship could be a fruitless deed that Paul in Ephesians is calling us to expose and to say, God, I don't want to live in that false protection. Now, when I say false protection, what do I mean? What I mean is a temple that has a moat around it. A temple that has a thick, insurmountable wall. That's what I'm talking about. Whenever I see someone who is so defended in that way, I think, what is it they're afraid of? What is it that they don't want to replay? And again, if we're honest, we just have to say, this is a device of the heart. This is a natural, self-protective habit of the heart. But let's not slap a Jesus label on it. Let's not swathe it in spiritual language and say, it's all about my higher calling. No, it's all about your fear. Let's just call it fear. Now, a person that's been really beat up and hurt or whatever, rightfully, you need to have some boundaries, don't you? 
So let's see it as a temple, not with a moat and not with this thick wall. Let's see it as a temple that has a wall, but that has windows and has doors. And you're getting to know the gatekeeper of the temple, Jesus Christ. And with him, you're, you're learning how to say, hey, I want to commune with you. Come on in. You can't come into the inner chamber, but you can come into the sitting room. <laughs> I want to get to know you. It's cool. Really? And I want to look out the window. <laughs> I see it all the time. It's so fun. In the prayer room, like, you know, these like 18-year-olds, you know, that are, you know, you can smell the hormones on them. You know, they're, they're roaring in. You know, they're on fire for God. And in God's strange injustice, they're at the peak of their sexuality. You know what I mean? They're just leaving home and they're like, you know, anything I touch, you know. And um, so they're in the prayer room and like they're learning how to do it. They're learning how to worship. They're learning how to do the one thing. It's so powerful. And then there's like these beautiful creatures in the front dancing. <laughs> Truly. Like these gorgeous life, you know, the women of Brazil, you know, are, you know, are dancing very modestly, but they're beautiful, right? And so these young guys are like, I'm temporarily losing sight of the one thing. The one thing has become another. I mean, you just have to say, okay, look up, look up. Up, up. They're dancing unto the Lord, and so should you be looking. Upward, heavenward. It's so sweet. You never shame them. You just think it's normal. But let's learn the one thing. That's why you're here, pal. So so we want to have windows, um, but... But we want to know that there's walls as well and choices and the good discipline of learning how to welcome the Lord as the Lord of the temple and the gatekeeper of the temple, which is our humanity. Now, another thing that we can do, and this is more a function of immaturity, we can have an unattainable ideal. You know, what we're, what we're experiencing with Jesus Christ is so powerful. You know, the Song of Solomon, that the, the Song of the Beloved, this wonderful dance between the Lord and us. It's beautiful. It's high. It's lofty, full of swoony romantic language. Beautiful. We should have that with the Lord. It actually gets in the way with people. You know what I mean? If you transfer that onto people, it all becomes images and ideals these lofty romantic things that we're expecting in our opposite sex relationship. And you know what? No one can live up to it. So I know some people, men and women alike, for different reasons, men that are waiting for the goddess. They're waiting for the woman who's fabulously intelligent, very sexy, but modest. Loves Jesus with all of her heart, but is very earthy and resourceful. Her own woman, the perfect helpmate, brings in an income. You know, all these things. And I just think, pal, she doesn't exist. Really. And you know what? That You're, you're transferring your immaturity onto humanity, aren't you? And you're waiting for this perfect thing 
to kind of beckon you out of your aloneness. It's crazy. Some of you women, you want the same thing. You're looking for a man who is just so realized, who's Mike Bickle. He's Mike Bickle. He's a tremendous teacher. He's powerful. He's masculine. He's tender. He's available. He's, he knows something about the world, but he's not that bad. You know, and, and you create this thing and it's like, you know what? No man can live up to it. You know, and, and you kind of won't budge. You won't budge on it. It's like, no, if he doesn't have all these things, I'm not going to go for it. I'm waiting. You know what? You're going to be waiting a long time. <laughs> Truly. You are. So there's a way in which we have to kind of get real and say, God, is this ideal from you or is it just a composite of the commercialization of the culture? And many of us, honestly, we haven't had that many really healthy opposite sex experiences. So we really don't know even what we're talking about. In a way, we know we have longings, but we have this template which is forged in unreality. So it's so much better just to say, I just want to learn how to be friends. I want to learn how to engage with you. I want to learn who you are. And in that, I'm going to learn about what I like and what I want. And if I do it in the Lord and if I'm committed to blessing you and keeping my clothes on, it's going to be good. (laughs) Good deal. Temples with windows and doors. The Lord is the gatekeeper. Now, some of us have more serious issues. We come into the body of Christ with broken boundaries. Broken boundaries. And in our day and age, in the age of the Internet, the age of of the idolatry that is available to us at all times, you can have been a Christian all of your days and come into this you-me thing with the opposite gender, with your inner life ravaged the boundary lines having been consumed with the fire of lust. And you, technically a virgin. Technically never having crossed that line with another human being, but in your heart having crossed it thousands of times. Broken boundaries. Nehemiah said, you see the trouble we're in. We're in ruins. Our gates burned with fires. Those boundaries that were intended to to keep us free from exposure to graphic acts of sexuality. For most of us, that's gone. You guys were weaned on computers. Your fingers fly over the thing. And, And at 11, 12, 13, you began to be aware that there were these beautiful people wanting to show you more of them. And saying, come here, it's not hard. It won't even cost you anything, at least not now. Just come on. And, and, and we discovered that the computer was such a mixed thing. It was really good on one hand. We could do great stuff. And on the other hand, we began to feed off of it. And, and we began to develop an image of women and men and women and men together based upon these violent, beautiful images that caused us to lose our innocence and caused us to even see the most pure person, the most wonderful, beautiful, earthy man or woman as just another player in our little porno drama. 
And that's what happens when you look at those images. You bring it wherever you go. You can't compartmentalize it. You can't say, oh, that's there. It's all gone. No, you, you bring it into this building. You bring it into that person that kind of looks like the person you just saw. And you think, wow, they're hot. <laughs> and it's not a good, huh? She's attractive. It's a, ha. Huh. It's heightened. It's intensified. It's diabolical. These images are violence. They do violence to us. We can't shake them, can we? And the danger is we stop flinching. We stop seeing it as poison. We stop experiencing it as poison. It just becomes what we eat. Just another round of McDonald's. Yeah, it doesn't feel so good, but whatever. The boundary lines burned with fire. Many of you, in your good, you were good kids. You, did, you were going to be virgins. You were going to go into marriage, virginal. But man, you got taken. You got taken. And if you're honest with you, you're not getting over it. If you're honest, you're losing the battle. Some of you even came to one thing thinking, man, I'm going to start the year right this time. I'm not going to go back on that stuff. I'm not going to do it. It's going to be better this time. You know what's going to make a difference? Is if you go home and you say to two or three guys or two or three girls, hey, I need to meet with you. I need to be on the net with you every day and let you know what I'm doing on it. And I need to get a guard on it. I need to start meeting with you. And I got to lick this thing because I don't trust myself to do it alone. I've tried. I've confessed. I've cried. I've worshipped more. And in those wee hours when I'm emailing people, I'll go on. Because I'm lonely and I'm hungry and I've been eating this stuff for years. And I'm addicted to it. Just be honest. Don't spiritualize it. Don't say because you really cried hard a week ago, it's over. Because, man, those images know you and they still want you. So make choices. Some of you, you started having weird relationships with people on the Internet early on, chat rooms and stuff. You started saying things to them that you'd never say to a real person because you didn't see them. It was your way of acting out. It was your way of being bad because you were a good kid so you could be bad in the chat rooms. That's how you learn to relate. Faceless people that you told lies to. Broken boundaries. Broken boundaries. Shut it down. See it for what it is. See it. See it like Nehemiah saw it. Man, there's supposed to be this protective boundary around my humanity and it's burned with fire. It's burned down. I don't have a boundary. That's why you're so vulnerable. You really don't have that guard around your humanity. It got burned down. So be honest about that. And then you can start getting healing. For some of us, we started seeing it and then we started doing it. We started bringing it into our relationships. Bringing it into boyfriends, girlfriends. Started fondling, touching we just got used to it. It's like, well, why not? You know, I'm watching it. I'm seeing it. I want to do it. So you, you began to break the boundaries down actually. And it's the same deal like with pornography. You've got these friends that you act out with. 
and you just don't, you think, well, okay, let's set the boundary now. Now it's finished. No more. Until the next time. And you live like that, and it's delusional. It's a lie. You think you can handle that person. You can't. And your track record shows it, and you know it. And so you got to get real with that and just say, you know what? Because we've broken these lines down, man, we got to stay away from each other. We just got to. Like we've lost our freedom to say we can handle each other because we can't. We've traveled this path so many ways before. I can't be with you. And because I love you and I want God's best for you, you need to go get the boundaries rebuilt. So do I. I release you. I'm so sorry it had to be like that. But when you live boundaryless lives with another person, that relationship is damaged. It's damaged. You can't get it back. You can't act like you never saw him naked. That's how it works. So you've got to deal with the consequences, don't you? And that's not to stay in delusion. It's to say, we need some lines, man. We need some accountability. We need to bring other people into this. We're kidding ourselves. Sometimes we don't cross physical lines, but we do emotionally. We find someone and we lock into them. And maybe we don't want to let our true feelings be known. So we develop these emotional infatuations where we even begin to romanticize and fantasize about our lives together. And they don't even know you like them. And you're getting words and your friends are getting words and it's all becoming very prophetic. (laughs) And really, the big dumb intercessor is clueless. He's like, no, I just like to rub your back. And you're like, whoa, (laughs) prophecy fulfilled. And it's an emotional infatuation that actually becomes manipulative and controlling because people aren't telling the truth. And you're just not making it known. You're not saying, hey, I know we're friends and, you know, prayer buddies. High five. Wow. So great. Let's bring in the kingdom. But really, what's going on with the you, me? Really? Like anything going on? Are we even remotely more than just... High five, forerunners, all that. Really, what else is going on? Anything? Make it known. And guys, honestly, wake up. For the guys especially, wake up to what's going on. Like, you know, when you're not 13 anymore and when you're 20 or 25 and you're hanging out together and you're best buds and you're this and you're that, it's a little weird. Ask the question, what's going on? Are we just friends or what? What's up with this? Like, what does it mean when I stroke your back for half an hour? (laughs) What's the meaning of it? It's nothing. It's just, I want to ring Song of Solomon over you. (laughs) I mean, it's it's just the, the bridal paradigm, man. It's one thing. It's like, well, no, it's just become something else. And honestly, I just want to be honest about that. Is it something else? Are we on to the second thing now? Really, ask it. Are we on to you, me now? Don't let it be a great mystery. 
don't let it to devolve into the carnal, spiritual, speculative life. Just bring it on the table. What's going on? Anything going on? Any substance to this you, me thing? Okay, great. Thanks for sharing. Let's have a boundary. No more back rubs. Okay? <laughs> Love you, pal. No more. Save it for the one you love. Amen? So emotionally we can cross boundaries. And you know what some of us have to face? And this is hard and sad. We have to face the fact that, you know what? There were never boundaries. And this is sad. Honestly, for some of you, like I'm we're being funny and so on, but for some of you, those boundaries were broken down for you. Not because you wanted them to be, not because it was your sin, but because some jerk, honestly, some jerk barreled into your life before you even knew what was happening and took away your innocence. For some of you, the walls were burned with fire of a perverted adult's lust when you were a kid. And when that's the case for you, You need to take that seriously and not just say, ah, it happened, you know, whatever. No, you need to say, you know, I need healing. Like that has really affected me. Like I, for some of you girls, man, for some of you where you've been promiscuous, but then you've also been so afraid and and hateful because certain guys just made you afraid. That's because you're wounded. And that's because someone else broke down the walls and you need help. You need help. That's where we do others a disservice to minimize the wounds of what happened to us when we were kids. They affect us as adults. They affect how we trust people. They affect whether we have thick walls or no walls as adults in trying to work out this troublesome friendship with our sexuality. You need healing. And it's too precious. It's too deep to say, okay, you're healed. Forgive your abuser. Move on. No, you need help. You need to make that a priority. You need to say, you know what? That thing has really damaged and, and, and shaped my life for the bad. So I'm going to take a little time and get help for the good. Amen? If you've been abused. Lastly, and very briefly, I'm going to share a little bit about homosexuality, something near and dear to my heart. Honestly, I have such a heart for people who struggle with same-sex attraction. I so appreciate your uh, testimony, Rachel. So wonderful. Uh, If you have same-sex vulnerability, if you're aware that you have Attraction, physical, emotional longings for your own gender that are just beyond normal friendship. We need our own gender. We need same-sex friends. But where there's an intensity to that longing that has caused you a lot of shame, I want to say first and foremost, your same-sex attraction are revealing a very normal need that you have. It's revealing something very normal. You might think, I'm so perverted. I'm, oh man, I can't, I hate that. Well, you're going to have to stop hating it. 
we should hate sin. We should hate acting out and being seductive and so on. But when it comes to same-sex attraction, you need to look at it and say, what does this mean? What are the meaning of these feelings? And what it means is that you did not work out in your life a very normal and healthy identification with your own gender. Most people did. Most people worked it out as kids. They found good sources that they could identify with and work out what it meant to be a boy and a girl. They made peace in their skin with their masculinity and femininity. And then they went on to the next stage of relating, which is heterosexuality. For you, that didn't get worked out. There was wounding in your life. You shut down in that process. In relation to father, you men shut down. Something happened and something froze in you. And there was a way in which, at least in part, you stopped receiving and rightfully identifying with masculinity. And so your homosexual desires is communicating to you today, I've got to make peace with my own masculinity. I'm trying to get it in these images and fantasies of men. And the reason that we don't bless homosexuality is because it doesn't work. It only frustrates the very desire that drives you into it. Another man can't complete you if you're a male. Another woman can't complete you if you're a female. But you need to take those longings seriously and say, God, I want to start dealing with this. Really. I want to start working out this deep wound and void in my life. You need help to do this. And there is help where you live. There's help for you. We've been doing this ministry now for almost 30 years. And around the world, the church is learning how to deal respectfully and powerfully and well with people, good Christians who come with same-sex attraction and say, I want to deal with this. And people, if you choose not to deal with it, if you choose isolation, you're going to get picked off by the world because the opportunities for blessing and being affirmed in your homosexuality or lesbianism are skyrocketing out there. Don't get picked off, people. Get the help you need. Go to the bookstore. Pick up some of the resources. Find out more about what I'm talking about. I don't want to treat your wound as trivial. It is profound. But God's love is deeper still. And He has never stopped seeing you as an object of His image. One who bears His image well in your masculinity, in your femininity, as a heterosexual part of His creation. There is no such thing in God's eyes as a homosexual man or woman. There are only earnest and wonderful sons and daughters who face same-sex attraction and who have choices as to whether they're going to deal with it in the light. In the light of a father who is as powerful as he is nurturing. With a son who is able to bear all of our conflict and to bring clarity to the deepest places of our heart. 
and a church that is learning how to receive and enfold men and women who are working out this conflict so that they, like myself and like Rachel and thousands of others I can name, are walking in the reality of their inspired heterosexuality today. That is the will of God for people with same-sex attraction. Amen? Let's stand. Father, we want an exchange. We want an exchange today. We want an exchange. We come in here bearing many things in our hearts. Many things that have hurt us. Many things that have frustrated us. Longings fulfilled and frustrated. So we want to bring you our hearts. And we want to live in wisdom with our hearts, not in denial, not divided. We want to live all of our desires laid bare before you in wisdom. Lord, I want to ask for those where the boundary lines were really broken down. Lord, who from early on just didn't even know there were such things, who were exposed early on to pornography, to adult sexual acts that troubled them. They knew as four-year-olds, as eight-year-olds, as 12-year-olds that it was wrong. Something in them knew that they were being violated. Lord, have mercy on those who were lost on that day of darkness, the day of abuse, the day of premature exposure to eroticism. Lord, those who unwittingly didn't even know they were getting into a vile addiction when they began to click on to internet porn. Lord, I ask in Your mercy that You would reveal to us the damage done. That we wouldn't treat our own wounds lightly. But Lord, that we would look at it we would say, Lord, the walls have been burned with fire. Like I, I, I live in such vulnerability. There are no boundaries. Lord, I ask for your healing. I cry out for these ones. And I ask, oh God, that even today there would be a wake up. There would be a return to you and to others in such a way that would fulfill Nehemiah's words when he says, come, let us rebuild the walls so we will no longer be in disgrace. I ask, O God, for a quickening of the rebuilding of the walls. Help us, O God. They may have been burnt with fire, but they can be rebuilt. Help us to do our part. Lord, I ask for those who are really unaffirmed, in their masculinity or femininity, who have seriously distorted ideas about their womanhood or manhood. Lord, I pray for girls who are beautiful and who think they're ugly. I pray for men who are powerful and interesting and define themselves as weak and insignificant. Lord, I ask, Father, You who are powerful and nurturing, 
that you would rightfully align us with how you see us. That when we hear your word, O God, it would stir latent, dormant parts of ourselves that were never blessed and affirmed by anybody. Father, I ask that your hand would reach through the darkness of neglect and abandonment and confusing signals that you would lay claim to who we are as men, who we are as women, and that we would learn to rise with you and to manifest your power in our gender identities, in our manhood, in our womanhood having received your hand of blessing, to extend a hand of blessing to the men and women around us. To demonstrate that we are good gifts. That even in our weakness, we are beautiful offerings one to another. That even today, we can help ease the aloneness of another in a way that's authentic and true and holy, that breaks no boundaries, but reinforces her beauty and His power in such a way that helps us to manifest You all the more. I ask for this, O God. I ask for Your healing. I ask that it would rise in this place. I ask that it would rise in the prayer movement, O oh God. I ask that wherever people gather to say, come Lord Jesus, to cry out for the soon coming King, that we would become, we would be becoming a pure offering in truth, in our innermost parts, and in how we love and look at each other in the purity of heart and eye and hand that befits a pure bride waiting for her groom. Let it be so for us, O God. Let your good will and purpose for the prayer movement be helped by such ministry and not hindered by denial and foolishness and Gnosticism. I ask that this would be so, O God. Let us learn from the failures of many. Let us learn from fallen prophets and priests. Let us humble ourselves, O God, and gather on the basis of what is not as we would have it be for the purpose of becoming what is pleasing to You. We ask for this. In Your name we pray. Amen.